a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Today on First Lady and Friends, we had a very powerful conversation with members of the MLK Commission. We talked about all things uh, Martin Luther King and Dr. King's legacy and really what it means here in the state of Utah and what the great things that the commission's doing here in Utah. Can't wait for you to take a listen. Let's get proximate. Today on First Lady and Friends, I am thrilled to have in the studio here today um, members of the MLK Commission, and today we are discussing um, Martin Luther King Jr. and the commission and what it's about and your stories. I am thrilled to have you here today. Uh, We will start, because we have quite a room full, um, we will start with um, the chair, the commission chair, Bridget Shears. Let's Please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you and your background and, and you know, just who you are and how you got here. Oh, thank you. Um, I came to the commission about four years ago. I'm almost done with my second term and um, was uh, honored with being able to be the um, chair this past year. And um, it's something that... Um, I have known a few friends that have been on this commission, and they have felt like it was a great experience for them. So um, when I was approached to to apply to be part of the commission, I was excited. And I tell you the number of people that I've met that have impressed me and um, giving me the opportunity to learn so much over these last uh, four years and just seeing uh, how much of an impact we could have on the community. I thought that was extremely important, uh, particularly during um, the the pandemic years. It's been quite an interesting uh, effort on the part of the commission to continue to be um, uh, relevant in um, our our community when it's so needed. Um, I am um, a nurse by profession and uh, spent 40 years as a nurse and uh, almost 16 of them at Intermountain Healthcare. And I have uh, just recently retired, so mm-hmm. I am uh, have my own private consulting business and uh, do a lot of work in the community, other boards, and uh, work at the University of Utah um, as uh, with the College of Nursing and the, the School of Medicine right now. Mm, fantastic. Um, and before we before we go off, <laughs> and I was pushing a, the microphone yeah. away. I know. Okay. <laughs> She's pushing the microphone away. Uh, tell me a little bit about what uh, are you native to Utah? Did you grow up here, or if not, uh, what brought you here to Utah? Actually, I am not a native of Utah. I'm a native of Chicago, mm. um, and 
came here uh, as a result of my husband getting a job with KSL. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> so uh, we've been um, here for almost 20 years now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Oh, thank you. It's uh, Sorry, I just wanted to, you know, we want to make sure that um, – I'm always interested to hear people's stories, what what brought them here or what keeps them here or, you know, those kinds of things. Uh, you know, of course, I'm a native of Utah. I yeah. love it here. And I, I'm always interested to see people's perspectives on that. Um, next, we will go to the vice chair, Angel Clayton. Um, we would love to hear again about about you, how you got here, what your experiences with the commission and also, you know, a little bit about yourself personally. Yeah. So uh, if you can hear me. I am uh, a native of Utah. I grew up in Davis County. So coming down to Salt Lake was like the big deal. (laughs) Lots of buildings. It was very exciting. I was out by like cows and everything. So uh, yeah, so I am a native of Utah. I've grown up in Davis County. And uh, the commission, I had always seen members of my community on the commission. And I was an early, you know, in my early years of starting work in my career and thought, I just want to be around great people and be influenced by great people. So I just threw my hat in the ring and like Googled it and figured out where the form was and just, you know, tried to figure out how to get on. So uh, thankfully they chose me. I don't know why. (laughs) No experience, but happy to and eager to work. Um, So yeah, I've I've really enjoyed my time. I came actually during the pandemic. Uh, This is my second term. And so just to see folks mobilize and adapt how we build community, especially in the virtual space where we were at in 2020 and 2021, was really important to me. So, uh, yeah, I will always stay in Utah just because I believe a state that invests in you should invest right back. So happy to be here. Perfect. Thank you so much. And then Dr. Tamara Stevenson, let's uh, Commissioner Stevenson as well. Let's let's have you talk about yourself and, and how you got here. Well, I'm so honored to be with all of you today and to be a part of this important, meaningful conversation, being able to advocate for the uh, work that and legacy that Dr. King uh, lived, embodied, modeled for not just uh, folks of color, for black folks, but for everybody to make this country uh, live up to its name. If you will, uh, it's such an honor to be able to do this in this capacity as as a commissioner. This is my very first term. And uh, during the day, (laughs) I am vice president of diversity, equity and inclusion and chief diversity officer at Westminster College, which brought me to Utah 10 years ago from Michigan. And I have to attest that Utah does have the greatest snow on earth compared to Michigan. Um, so That's that right. has been one thing that I was trying to escape the snow, but apparently the snow loves me. So <laughs> thank you for bringing it this winter. <laughs> and and so in, in that role, I mean, I actually came to the college as a faculty member in communication. So I'm drawing on everything I've ever learned and studied throughout my life and career to uh, in this role and even bringing hopefully those gifts and talents to the commission to be able to amplify uh, the commission to serve this state in the ways that that um, this commission has done since 1991. So I'm coming into this legacy to preserve it, to to uh, continue the integrity of what this this work means. So I'm, that's what motivates me and keeps me interested and happy and excited about this. Thank you. That's fantastic. Uh, we have Commissioner Ofa. I'm gonna I'm gonna let you say your last name. I tried it earlier, but I don't want to mess it up. Um, but tell us a little bit about you. 
Thank you for Schleidy Cox. And I wanted to echo Dr. Stevenson's um, sentiments as well. Very excited to be here and thank, thankful for the opportunity that we get to um, discuss and share um, our, our community um, sentiments as to you know, what this day means in Martin Luther King and to be able to have a commission that is focused in doing this work and moving that forward here in Utah and, and for our communities. Alfa um, Matangi, <clears throat> um, I'm born and raised here in Utah, I'm Pacific Islander descent um, from Tonga. Um, my islands, my parents migrated here from the islands um, in the early 1980s, like many Pacific Islanders coming to Utah. Um, Utah is actually one of the one of the states that has the largest population of Pacific Islanders um, next to Honolulu, Hawaii, and um, I believe Sacramento, California. Um, and so, you know, we wanted to dig our roots deep here in Utah. Um, there's a large ethnic community, particularly in West si- in the West Side. Um, West Valley City is where I'm from. Um, and I saw so much diversity and it was so beautiful. But as I continued to grow up in this state, I, I saw a lot of disparities. I saw a lot of things that didn't make sense. And I saw a lot of people who didn't look like me in spaces which I, be- I felt that they needed to be, whether that, whether that was in policy, whether that was in legislation or in, <clears throat> excuse me, in elected positions. I, I saw that there was a great need for that. And I was grateful for um, the Ethnic Office of Affairs for starting a lot of the momentum. But currently right now, particularly um, with the multicultural division, vision of affairs, just the work that they're doing and the things that, that we have in the pipeline to be able to um, really move forward the mission of, of what King's legacy embodies. And I, I'm really excited to be here. Thank you. Thank you so much. And then, of course, uh, a friend of the program who's <laughs> been here before and, and a dear friend, um, Luna Benori, um, Commissioner Luna Benori. Um, tell us a little bit again about you and remind folks um, of, of your experience here. Thank you. I am so grateful to be here again in a different role from what I spoke about previously. Um, I believe I am the first Muslim on the commission, and I do take a lot of pride in being able to represent the community on the commission. And I also feel a lot of pride in the way the commission is making an outreach and it being inclusive of various communities that exist over Utah. As I had mentioned earlier, I am originally from Pakistan, came to Utah by the way of Chicago. <laughs> and as they say, my kids told me, mom, people are nice here. So we decided <laughs> to stay. And that also, you know, being from an underrepresented rep- represented community, I seeked out different ways to give back to the place that we adopted as home. So the commission was one of those spaces. Um, I think it was also important for me to be able to understand the legacy. I did not grow up in U.S., so I do not know the history as much as anybody who went to school here would. Um, I know that our pathways were opened up because of the 1964 Civil Rights um, uh, Amendment, Civil Rights Act, and a lot of folks from our part of the world uh, had their doors opened because of that act. And for them, most of them do not know the history or the struggle of black folks in America and what it means to have MLK represent and clear those pathways. Of course, one-fourth, one-third of uh, Muslims are uh, black in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, so incorporating their history, getting, giving them representation, um, and also ensuring that the ones like us who are recent immigrants is something that I take uh, very seriously. 
Um, I've also seen a lot of, uh, I've studied a lot of work that goes on in other states around MLK Day and celebration. Um, and I've also seen uh, recognition around Muhammad Ali, uh, the the boxer, the greatest boxer, and the work that he did with MLK and Malcolm X and how that, you know, once again provides stories and uh, uh, you know, in the intersection of Muslim identity with uh, the civil rights in U.S. Yeah, yeah. Um, let me go back to to the chair, Bridget. Talk a little bit, maybe, about the commission and its mission here um, in Utah. Uh, well, our mission is basically to ensure that we provide a voice to our underserved communities, um, and that we also partner with community organizations to support and advocate for those needs in those communities um, across the state, not just in Salt Lake City or Salt Lake County, but all um, areas across the state. We uh, we do have a commissioner that's in the rural areas, and we'd like to expand that. Um, unfortunately, it's been a little difficult as we have uh, we make a, a concerted effort um, to recruit in uh, from a variety of diverse groups across the state, um, and sometimes that's a little hard, and sometimes it it it's more related to accessibility. Um, but we are going to be looking for, uh, so I'm here, I'm putting a pitch out there, um, another representative on the commission from the rural uh, communities because we're going to be, uh, one of our commissioners is going off of the commission soon. And we want to make sure that we have a seat for uh, representing, um, especially our indigenous uh, um people here uh, that are in the rural communities and not well connected. So um, that's one of the things that we're doing. And I think, you know, that's one of the, we, we look for community leaders. We look for um, uh, a specialists in the area of equity, uh, diversity and inclusion. We look for community advocates and activists. Uh, so if there's someone who's interested, we are happy to have you come and apply. There's a way to do that on our website. Um, and I would encourage you to, to you know, put your hat in the ring and, and come in and join us in, in our efforts, um, you know, with the, across the state. Yeah. I love the, your focus on, on rural and, and, and that outreach as well, because I, you know, I, I think people don't realize, and I and I do know because I come from rural Utah. I grew up in rural Utah. I I realize that it can be a little homogenous, but I think that's only because we're not seeing people. Yeah, and I know in my, in the area that I grew up, there is a large Hispanic population, and I think that's true. I think in most areas in rural Utah, rural Utah, you know, maybe we don't see the other ethnic populations there, but um, as much they're there (laughs) and um, we need to be aware of that. So I love that. Um, What, what would you, how, how do we encourage that? And, and, and if I know somebody, you know, what do I say to them to help them to understand maybe you could be a part of this commission? As I said, there are you can have them contact uh, the Division of Multicultural Affairs. You can have them contact the chair on our website. Um, 
There's um, there are links to get more information as well as the application. Um, it is an appointed position, so. W- there is an interview process that um, anyone that's interested needs to go through, um, and then it needs to be vetted by Governor Cox. Mm-hmm. And beyond that, uh, I think what we are looking for are people who are eager to do the work. Um, I'm extremely impressed with the group that we have together right now. Um, this room just is a great example of the diversity that we have now within the commission, which I think in the past, it has been a little bit lopsided, and I think we've done a great job in expanding that, but we're looking to do that even more. Uh, there are communities that we don't have represented on the commission that we would like to see um, in the near future. Perfect. Um, I want to get into, you, you. some of you referenced COVID and the last few years and the things that have happened Um, I would like to get into that more as we continue this conversation when we come right back. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent. It was senseless. And I will never understand it. I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. We are back here with uh, members of our MLK Commission, and we're talking about, you know, as as MLK Day is is approaching, um, I I have to say on a personal level, I'm just so grateful for, for you all and for other friends of mine who were willing to have really tough conversations with me. Um, Growing up, I said, in Utah, in rural Utah, in a very homogenous area, in a very um, sheltered, I should say, environment where I was not exposed to um, a lot of different people of color or different experiences of people. Um, that that were different from me, and I have had a most um, enlightening and, and and frankly very fulfilling time getting to know people who have a different story. Um, I immediately, you know, this during during COVID and when COVID started, um, it was probably the one of the worst. Uh, times for my husband and I in our public life and probably personal life too as as well. And I think for many of us, this this was the case. But on top of that, which was really hard for a lot of us and where we found a lot of disparities in our different communities as far as, as health issues were really, you know, relates to health issues as it relates to um, the equity in, in, you know, getting vaccines out and those kinds of things. We saw 
things that you all knew existed and the rest of us became very aware of. And, and, and to me, the most um, powerful moments were following George Floyd's death. His, his murder was, was one of the moments where I think many of us, um, you know, uh, Dr. Stevenson, you said it was a it was a tipping point, and I think that's really true. I think for me personally, it caused me a lot of reflection and a lot of moments where I thought, I have no idea. I have no idea. And so I reached out to a lot of people that did have an idea. <laughs> and I think that was, it, it, for me, very beautiful. Um, and it and it and those friendships are so powerful to me because of of that moment. So let's just have a discussion on your thoughts, your feelings, again, your stories about these moments that we witnessed. And and again, anybody can jump in and talk about this. I think I want to touch upon your sincerity in terms of having that aha moment, and we've all had aha moments around. Um, these uh, uh, paradigm shifting experiences and occurrences, particularly combined with the social and civil unrest. Uh, some of the language that I've, I've saw used uh, was multiple public health crises, the crises of, of racism and law enforcement uh, uh, uh tensions for for lack of a better term with regard to communities of color and then the public health crisis and as you said uh all of those just exposed already existing disparities across populations being on a college campus and having to literally flip a switch to say don't come back because it happened at least at westminster right uh right at the time of our spring break so we're thinking everybody's leaving for spring break and a week later we had to pretty much say, don't come back to campus. But we have students who had nowhere to go. Yeah. So what do we do? We can't just send them out. We can't. So we had to pivot and shift in so many ways. And we were in the middle of the semester. So it was. It, and I was in a classroom, by the way. So I so when I talk to my fellow faculty members who, as I sit in this administrative role and want to say, you don't get it. I do. I was there, too. So uh, I think being there and being in the space and having the uh, balance of sincere inquiry versus being tokenized in the space to just explain this to everybody. So I appreciate you saying, you know, I have some questions and having trusted people that you could go to to be vulnerable and just say, I don't get this. Help me get this versus just tell me what I'm supposed to think and do. And that's it. And so that for me is the, is is the point and even how I have to navigate myself in these spaces. I have this professional role, but I'm also a human being who's also processing all of this. And when I get, you know, messages or things and what what should you do about this? Well let me I need to process this first personally before I can process it professionally. And and I am operating in better faith these days being in Utah. So when I do get a question from someone, I don't immediately put up my defenses about where this question is going to go, I try to, you know, pace myself and listen and say, okay, well, here's a good place for you to start. Besides just saying, go Google that. <laughs> read this book. I got a, I read a lot of books, yes. which I, which I 
appreciated, actually. I um <clears throat> to to be able to really explain how I feel from that moment for a, a while now, since we're kind of in a sense post COVID. I know I although I know we're still very much in the midst of it. Um, I get a lot of anxiety, truly. And then I, and I think now as I was reflecting back on the last few years, I think to some degree, just to be able to move forward and function, um, it was something that I had to bury in the sense that, um, just a lot of the frustrations and the feelings that I had that were brought forth, um, that were kind of stewing on the surface. But as we had talked about, you know, it was the tipping point. Um, you know, I identify as Tongan American, um, as an Asian American Pacific Islander, if you will, uh, from the AAPI community. And, you know, I saw so much things that were said and portrayed and, um, dismissed, uh, within the AAPI community as well when we talk about, um, you know, who's to blame for COVID and these types of, you know, uh, hurtful rhetoric. And um, I knew that so many people were hurting. And, you know, to be able to to, to even convey within Pacific Islander communities, I think, was very difficult because many were saying, you know, it's this person's fault, it's this person's fault. And, play, uh, play, you know, I never play, playing this blame game, if you will, and just being very counterproductive. Um, and, you know, for people not to realize at the root of everything is this the racism, you know, whether it's individual, whether it's covert um, or, you know, all these different um, facets of how we see racism manifest itself in American history. And for people to, for a large part, push it to the side, uh, at least in my perspective, the main um, the main narrative was to that it wasn't real, that, you know, there's other things happening and and we don't want to talk about the, the, the real issue at hand. Um, and. For me, that was very hard and difficult because I've seen that happen throughout my life where people aren't talking about the root of what's happening, the elephant in the room, if you will, because it's hard. It's a hard conversation to have. And I think the biggest thing for me was opening my eye to that, to the to the fact that these conversations are, yes, they're difficult and they're hard. But how do we have them in a way that gives space for people of different views and and um, ideologies, backgrounds, beliefs? to be able to at least be heard. Because there's things that were said that, you know, to me, innately were very frustrating and hurtful, but understanding that 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 is that is this person's, you know, journey. That is their that is their history, their perspective. And even if I disagree or, you know, find it offensive to, to a large part was to be able to give space to at least hear, why do you feel the way that you feel? You know, and really getting to the humanistic experience of all people um, to be able to hear. And again, that that's a hard conversation. It's easier said than done. Um, and, you know, the, again, I just trying to recount my feelings about what had happened. Um, it, I just have so much anxiety right now, even right now where like I'm like I'm shaking a little bit. Just, it's just it is traumatic to hear, you know, some people saying that like, oh, this is it's his fault. It was George Floyd's fault or, you know, this narrative or that narrative. Um, and just pivoting against each other with hate. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, my, the last thing I'll say is it was very hard for me as a um, first-generation immigrant um, here in America to to identify and feel a sense of belonging in this mm-hmm. country. Mm-hmm. Um, excuse me. Yeah. Okay. To feel, you know, if we talk about the American beliefs and ideology and what the concepts of this this beautiful country was founded on, and then to see that not come to fruition. And again, we've seen it. We knew it was there, right, to a large degree, at least for myself, I can, I can say that I knew, you know, we know a lot of these submissive ways in which racism, you know, has interacted in in, in our the last however many years, centuries. Um, and then to see it come to the tipping point and for people to continue to turn a blind eye mm. 
was very hard and hurtful when it, to me it was very clear abundantly clear that it was still much a, pre- a problem especially when you talk about disparity of you know vaccination um, outreach and um, resources and the for our most you know traditionally underserved communities particularly hardest hit um, to me it was abundantly clear that that was a problem and again to find it was hard to see the American flag, I think, and for people at that time frame to champion certain types of narratives and beliefs or even, you know, not to get into the political realm of everything, but very particular political beliefs in regards to COVID um, and how people were championing certain beliefs um, with parties um, was hard. And for me, again, I even, you know, it took some time even post after to be able to like, this is, I belong here too. This is my country. Um, and I love that. Right now with the Cox administration, you know, being one Utah, I think that's such a beautiful message of one that we can continue to strive for. Um, but again, it, it, it was a hard place for me to be able to be in to to really think, like, do I belong here? Am I a part of this place? And this is this a place I want to be a part of? Yeah, no, that's very well said. Yeah. You know, Ofa, um, I've, I've kind of lived through this experience before, um, but as a child and mm-hmm. to see it come back again in the sense that um, having parents who were involved in the civil rights movement mm-hmm. in in the 60s, uh, the death of Dr. King himself, as well as some of our other icons um, within the black community, you know, it, it was so heartfelt. I could not separate myself from the, the feelings. And I think what I came out of what you just said is the whole mental health aspect of this. This is like a perfect storm. And I, I'm not saying I say this is now and in, not in terms of it's in the past because we still have so much work to do. Um, because I don't want my grandson 50 years from now saying, yeah, I remember this when George Floyd was killed. And here we are still doing the same things that we've done over the last 100, 200, 400 years. Um, so I, I just, I think it's important that one of the things that we recognize is the importance of finding our community, right? And feeling that belonging. And, you know, you just said it, you know, the whole aspect of One Utah is something that I think we can all um, you know, plant our feet in and make a foundation of so that we don't have our kids and our kids' kids coming through this and feeling like they don't have that p- place where they belong. We all do belong. And so thank you for, yeah. you know, expressing that. Yeah, I think for me it was a whole lot about identity and community. So I am biracial, and I think a lot of folks that have multiracial identities will understand this. Um, I saw civil unrest in textbooks and in videos and in black and white. But when you're seeing it in color on KSL and it's downtown, it gets very real. And I think community was really important to me, right? Because, you know, I'm on the MLK commission and I'm being asked to come talk and Governor Herbert is in there and, and Governor Cox was in there as well. But then I also have rural family in Utah that I actually don't have relationships with anymore because they don't want to have a conversation So I think it really helped shape for me who believes in the beloved community, who wants to hear experiences, and who doesn't. And it actually really helped me understand what arms I need to come around and what relationships I need to let go of. That's fascinating. Um, (sighs) 
<laughs> and it's and it's heavy because those are hard. Though you know, you know, Ovi, you were talking about the anxiety. I watched that movie. I can't remember what it's called, but where it was like it was um, Katie Holmes and I forget what it's called, but alone together or something like that and it was like the beginning of the pandemic and i actually had a hard time even watching it i was like oh my goodness i about can't breathe because this is this is bringing up so much anxiety but i think um my my experience through all this has been just finding a lot of love and understanding when i say to someone help me understand your experience and it's really hard because there are people that you you talked about that you know that that I truly love but are saying things that are really hurtful to people that I love Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or about people that I love and I think I, I guess that's my question how do we I mean uh going back to Dr. King he had a way of somehow doing that, somehow saying things in a way that that brought love, even though it was hard. It was really hard. I don't know how he did it. <laughs> By being extremely intentional, right. you know, and not backing down from that um, in spite of what others might have thought or um, felt or said to him in their actions or words, you know, there, he just didn't give up. I have to echo out loud for myself, the not giving up part, because uh, when you were first sharing that, I, I immediately wanted to remind myself and everybody that Dr. King was a human being mm-hmm. and who, who cried and, and lamented and was frustrated. And if you read about his life, he wanted to be a professor. He happened upon that leadership opportunity and he accepted it, probably thinking this is just one thing. This is just one time. And then I'll leave 13 years. And he would have kept going if he hadn't been assassinated in 1968. He was a human being, but I have to say, particularly being in Utah, I've got to gotten to meet some phenomenal people most recently Angela Davis mm-hmm. I her pictures on my Facebook page <laughs> and she said the same thing Bridget just said which was do not give up that's what they are uh, they each of them say and I asked them very directly based on what you went through how do you not give up and Dr. Angela Davis said imagine it differently imagine it imagine it well imagine it in love imagine it in in peace and so if they can do that based on what they went through i think i can do my part as well so Mm. if that's the takeaway from this conversation today that is a phenomenal takeaway for all of us to have yeah absolutely yeah go luna i wanted to add your own words first lady when we first met in this podcast, you said, let's get proximate. That is one of the ways that we learn to respect each other. When we know the people that we are talking about or dealing with, um, all the anxiety, anxiousness comes down. So it's important for us to be out in the community, interacting, getting close. Your invite for all of us to come here and share that experience, 
these are the steps that we need to take. When we talk about one Utah, it's also about getting proximate with each other. Yes, absolutely. And, and again, that's been my experience with, of course, that comes from, you know, Brian Stevenson's book, Just Mercy, he talks about getting proximate. And that's where I've found um, the most learning happens for me. And the most connection is when I get proximate to somebody and they sh- they're they're uh, gracious enough to share their experience with me. Um, second is really like getting proximate through history and books and people's experience through. I, I tell you, I'm a, I'm kind of a bibliophile. I just I I love reading. I, I recently read a book called uh, The Warmth of Other Suns. Uh, just something in history that I was not aware of. And, and it taught me so much about the, the experience of that migration, um, out of the South and into these different communities and the, and the traumas and the, anyway, it's, it was a lot. And it was really helpful again for me to start to sort of piece things together in my own mind about how this works. I want to continue this conversation. It's really important. I want to talk about, uh, the commission, what it's, what we do going forward. And again, how, how we teach this history and these uncomfortable truths in, in a way that brings people together instead of dividing them. We'll do that when we come right back. We're back here with our friends from the MLK commission and, and my dear friends now. And I, and I feel we have had a really an emotional moment here as we've had these discussions and they are hard discussions. And, um, I think the, the, the word that comes to my mind during all this and everything that I've learned is uncomfortable. We have to get uncomfortable and I've been very uncomfortable. I, I participated in last year in a, in a symposium, a, a, a anti-racism symposium and it was very enlightening, but I'm not going to lie; it was very uncomfortable. Um, and these and these stories can can make us uncomfortable. And 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 sadly, sometimes we run from that uncomfort, uncomfort, and that lack of comfort. And I I don't want to run from it anymore. I want to sit in it, even though it's hard for me personally, and I know it's hard for you. So let's talk a little bit. My background is education. I am passionate about education. And, and I just want to talk about, we, we were saying during the break that our kids get it. These kids love um, in a way that, that the adults can learn from. How do we teach children? How do we have these conversations in schools, in our homes, where we're we're learning to embrace proximity, embrace a different way to think. I mean, how how are we doing this? Are we doing it well? If we're not, how do we do this? I think there's some valid attempts, you know, whether whether it's organizations making pathways or policies and legislation that we can see on you know a local, state, and even federal up level um, around the country. But to be able to say that maybe the country 
altogether could be able to reach that. I'm not quite sure. I don't know what that looks like. But I, what I do believe, though, is that we have the power within our own circles, our own spheres of influences to be able to make an impact and to have those hard conversations. I don't know the quote verbatim, but it's one of my all-time favorite quotes from Dr. King. And he talks about being able to um, to be able to have hard conversations and um, being willing to push to be able to have the, the conversation, to have the dialogue um, in, in times of uncomfortability. Um, and again, I don't know the exact quote and I wish I had it um, to be able to share, but essentially that's how I think about his legacy is, you know, I, in, in elementary and throughout junior high and high school, I think I felt that I, I learned a, a certain perspective of what Martin Luther King's legacy was, but it wasn't until I started to really dive into spaces of ethnic studies and critical, you know, diversity and other spaces where um, the thought the thoughts were much more inclusive and the the information and the theories and being able to really realize that Dr. King's legacy was, you know, at that time he was pushing barriers. He was pushing boundaries. And, you know, there was a reason why he was, you know, in the Birmingham jail. There was there was reasons for all what that had happened and occurred. Um, and so for me, thinking that, like, I really have to push the envelope, um, you know, when I feel safe, when I when I feel that I have the opportunity to be able to push the envelope and to have that conversation in a respectful way, human to human, to really hear about someone's experience, I think is so important. And when we have those a- those avenues and opportunities to take advantage of that, again, in our spaces. I, someone had mentioned earlier, one of the commissioners talking about like some, and in some instances, we can't, we aren't able to do that, unfortunately. Sometimes we have to guard ourselves and protect our energy. But I feel like, you know, when we can really have those conversations when they're possible to, to be able to to pursue them. I was intrigued by your question because uh, my background, um, my corporate background is in organizational communication and uh, social media has changed how we interact with each other, especially our young people. Just, you know, just a quick note. Facebook is for the old people now. (laughs) It's Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter and TikTok, right? And so when in the conversation about how do we teach, how do we teach our children, they are on these social media platforms getting content. And in some instances, I think some well-meaning parents, you know, all good parents want to protect their children, you know, and want to preserve their their innocence um, and preserve their integrity and keep them safe, keep them emotionally safe as well as physically safe. But yet social media is inundating them at every point. And so I think the pendulum swing swing to ban everything. Yeah. Is, is not creating the outcome that they want. And so, um, I tend to avoid the terms hard conversations. Um, you know, I don't know what word placeholder might work there, but if it's about being curious in the best ways, um, having a childlike curiosity, grownups need to return to that. Play. Grownups need to return to that. Our, our, the upcoming, our upcoming youth day, um, with the Utah Jazz coming up, we're going to be playing. We're going to be playing and learning at the same time. And so I think shifting from this is hard, this is rough, this, no, let's, let's learn, let's be proximate and explore and be curious about individuals, life stories and lived experiences. I'm learning more about my fellow uh, commission colleagues just being in this conversation. And it is intriguing. I'm just, curious about their stories and want to learn more. And so um, I think it's it's 
treating it as let's explore this. And I think we can also protect. We want to be responsible. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but let's approach it from a place of of good faith curiosity to um, enjoy each other's experiences. I will. I know what your placeholder is. <laughs> oh, okay. Instead of hard conversations, yeah. exploratory conversations. Yes. Um, just being willing to learn more. Um, but I also think there's the foundation, the home. Mm-hmm. You know, we if we don't have those exploratory conversations within our own families, um, it doesn't show outside of that, right? I mean, it, it, they don't have the, the, the tools in order to work with when they're confronted with those critical, hard things that the world is going to bring them. But if those conversations are coming up at the dinner table, and yeah, we do have to intentionally have those conversations and sit down together and have those, you know, to do that. And I don't know that that happens a lot anymore. We're so busy. We're moving so fast. We don't take that time. But it's really about a foundation. Um, And when they see that in you, they'll take that out to the world. You know, I do think being a product of the Utah public education system, (laughs) as much as I learned about our history in school, I learned a lot more on TikTok. Mm -hmm. And it's because I had to go look for it. And I was finding, you know, I'm processing this interesting time and I found, you know, talks or or documentaries from Angela Davis. And I really was like, okay, I can identify with that. All right. That's someone I'm going to look to. And so I think you have to go and and understand that while there are unsafe spaces on the Internet, there are also spaces of community for Mm -hmm. children. And I also think it also comes down to, you know, what environments are you putting your children into, right? We know that our top five friends oftentimes have the most assimilate or the most uh, attributes as us, right? Mm-hmm. So when they're looking at their parents, do their parents have friends that look the same? Or do you, are you bringing diversity in the home through your friendships and through your colleagues? So I think that's something that my parents tried to instill in me and, and I see my friends do as well. I love that. I One of my, I always say this, some of my, I, I know parents can get a little anxious about, you know, maybe the teacher's teaching something that doesn't exactly align with maybe their their philosophies or anything like that. But I always say to people, this that those are my favorite conversations that I ever have with my kids. When they come home and say, my teacher said this and I don't I I don't think that's right. And and then when we get to sit down and have that conversation and say, why don't you think that's right? What do you think about that? Why does that rub you wrong? Or why, you know, what is it about that? And what do you think is right? And what do you, you know, I love those conversations. And I think you're absolutely right. You know, um, I think one of my favorite quotes, and you can tell me who really said it first, because I don't know, I've heard it in different places, but it's really hard to hate up close. Mm. <laughs> and um, I, I know Michelle Obama, Obama said that, but I think it, it may have originated somewhere else. But she, that's such a great Thing is when you say to people, you know, I don't, I don't agree with you. Tell me more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> those kinds of things. I love those conversations, and it goes back to, to, to what you said, Tamara. Is the the curiosity? Like we're losing curiosity. We're losing the ability to say, "Ooh, I might be wrong. Tell me how I am wrong." <laughs> I love that idea. Um, anybody, anything else we that we missed here today as we as we 
conclude our, our discussion. Yes, please. Sorry, I just found the quote that I wanted to share. Oh, perfect. Hopefully this, this um, resonates as well. But um, from Dr. King, he says, our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. Mm. And so just to have the strength and the, the courage to be able to have thoughtful conversations um, that move the pendulum forward. Yeah, I love it. Well, I am really excited to continue in this work with you. Um, consider me a, a, a sister in this work, and I, I'm happy to, you know, to share this beautiful message of of oneness, of coming together, of learning from each other, of celebrating differences as well as our similarities. Um, you know, I come from a special education background, and 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 inclusion is is such a big part of what. What I've been preaching for a long time and and it matters across the board and everyone needs a sense of love and belonging. I don't care who you are. That is absolutely core to us as human beings. So thank you to all of you. This has been a beautiful conversation. I hope we've ended on a happy note and and, and we're ready to go forward and, and really make this state a better place. So thank you so much for, for being here today. Thanks for having us. Thank, thank you so much. You can find more information at multicultural.utah.gov slash MLK. Thanks for being a friend. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.